We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know. And sometimes, the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We are here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. The show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully the justice that was ultimately delivered. Don Palumbo. Jonah Lanto. Damn glad to be here with you, yeah, pal. I'm, yeah, you too. Yeah. It's been a happy it's been brunch. A few day. Yeah, happy brunch. This yeah. is weird. It's weird it's because well, I, I always like begin shows with like, and tonight on Midwest Murder, and ain't no tonight on Midwest Murder. There is no tonight. If we're still still here tonight, that's there are issues. It's not a problem. Yeah. It's a lot of fun it's, if we're still here tonight. Well, it might not be a problem for but you, the, maybe yeah. me, but yeah. The, the, the first ever, I think, what should be a tradition. Yeah. Bougie, boozy, bloody, not so bitchy, brunchy, at mm-hmm. a typical brewery and barrel works. I like it. Our longtime Minot partners. Yeah. Supporting so, Buried Alive today, all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. Thank you to you guys for being here this afternoon. Thank you to Atypical. We love our partnership with you guys, and, and it's it's super cool. Thank you. Uh, also, big thank you to everyone who rates and reviews our podcast. It does amazing things. It helps us out tremendously. You might not think that it matters, but it really does, and it does help us move up the charts, which we have continuously done because of you guys. And we are so very, very grateful for the comments, the feedback, and the support even the uh, the not so nice comments. I'm I'm. They're fun. They're fun. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. have fun with those. We've, it's we've okay. got a T-shirt idea coming out. Uh, if you were here last year, intellectually lazy, that might stick out to you. But we've got a T-shirt idea coming for that, so it's good. Anyway, those comments really they really do matter, regardless of what they are. So, Jonah, what are people saying about Midwest Murder? Yeah, huge shout out to everybody who takes time out of their busy life to review us on iTunes. So please, if you haven't done that and you're a fan of the show, take a moment. 37 seconds of your life to jump on that Apple Podcast app. Give us a review. This one comes from Yeah, Yeah, Hey. Five stars. My gateway to podcast listening. I started listening to Midwest Murder nearly two years ago, and it led to all the podcast listening I do now. This show is amazing for first-time listeners in the podcast world or seasoned veterans. I love how they open each episode with a timeline to place you in the right setting. It's been great to hear so many stories that happen right in my home state of North Dakota and the greater Midwest region as well. Jonah and Don both are remarkable storytellers and complement each other well with providing a balance to the show so that it doesn't weigh you down with the heavy subjects at times. I admire how sincere they are with covering tough topics and delivering the story to inform, not just entertain. If I could offer one thing, I wish listeners could submit cases that they wish to be covered in eventual episodes. I hope to make it to a live show soon. Well, let me drop some news. We are always taking ideas, show ideas, episode ideas. Newsflash. Yeah. Yeah, uh, message us. In fact, that's where we've gotten a lot of our cases, uh, especially outside of North Dakota. Message us on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Yeah, if you, if, you, do it. if you know of a case that you'd like to see us cover, just remember we don't do open cases. These are closed cases on Midwest Murder. Send us a message. We can't always guarantee that it's going to work out. But we really do look at each and every one that is yeah. sent to us and consider it for a Midwest Murder story. And I'd say at least 10 plus or more of our stories have been fan suggested. So big thanks for that review. This next one comes from Lindsay1987. Five stars in love. Love, love, love this podcast. I've been nonstop binging. I desperately need a live episode in Indiana. Okay, Indiana. That's that's itching. It's a long towards, way from home. It is. It's itching towards Ohio, which we know how I feel about Ohio, but they're still part of the Midwest. I'm right? just kidding. Ohio is going to come for me, and I really don't have anything against them. I just, well, I, I guess I kind of do, but that's a whole other episode. I'll cover my hatred for Ohio, my love hate relationship with them. Stop blaming Cleveland for your I problems. I should stop talking about Ohio, right? Uh, so be sure to check out our merch as well. We're always looking at adding new designs. So if there's a phrase you think that we should add, send us a message via social media, email, carrier pigeon, whatever you like. And to order, check out our socials for a link or go to too many shirts.com slash Midwest dash 
murder. If you send me a message via carrier pigeon, I promise I will fulfill whatever you've requested because that would be awesome. I wouldn't even know how to, how to just, start with a carrier pigeon or yeah. to receive one, but I imagine if it's meant to be, it'll be. If a carrier pigeon lands at my house, whatever it's telling me is getting done. Mm-hmm. I promise. That's some shit that's happening. <laughs> We also have launched what some would call a fan club, or a flan club, whatever, Uh, but we call it Club Midwest, and signing up to be one of our Midwesty besties for $10 a month gets you access to exclusive virtual recordings, which we're about to The first of which is about to come Mm -hmm. up. Yep, and host interactions, episodes up to seven days earlier than the release date, and entry into our monthly merch giveaway, which I'll be dropping on Tuesday. Also, pre-sale access code, so all of our our Midwesty besties, you get pre-sale to before live public on sale for all of our shows. So big and, thanks to everybody who's jumped yeah. in to support Midwest Murder. Again, this is an independently produced podcast. So this is what Don and I do for a living and every dollar counts for us. Thank you. It does. You. Yeah. It helps us get case files, keep the lights on, all those things. And yeah. we pay bills, gotta, you yeah. know. Uh, this show is brought to you in part by Midwest Memoirs. Have you ever wondered how the stories of the people you love most will live on after they are gone? Midwest Memoirs is here to help you capture the most precious memories of your loved ones as told in their voice. This is done with research of your family member and completed through a professionally guided interview in a comfortable studio setting using state-of-the-art recording equipment. The most important stories we'll ever hear are those of the people we love most. Contact Midwest Memoirs today on Facebook or Instagram, or as the children say now, Insta. Insta. Or IG. I don't know. I'm probably a couple years late, but whatever. Very, very, very proud of the work we're doing with yeah. memoirs. And if you want to capture the oral history of your family, that's essentially what this service does. It's like getting a podcast episode or two or three about your family's life history. Yeah, it's and incredible. It's, it's pretty remarkable. All right. So the year is 2019. It feels a little too soon. And it may seem dramatic, but I'm honestly questioning how we lived through it. Uh, looking back as I was doing the the timeline... The first ever picture of the black hole was released by scientists. The picture was taken in 2017, but it took two years to piece it together. Was was it a puzzle? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. It's just what they told me. Americans became more likely to die from an accidental opioid overdose than in a car accident, according to the U.S. National Safety Council. Gross. Yep. That's a not gross. It's it's a reality, and that sucks. Yeah. So we need to be better. Uh, Speaking of being better... Uh, needing to be better, Catholic leaders in Texas named 286 priests and others within the church accused of sexually abusing children all the way back to 1940. Pope Francis also admitted for the first time that clerics have sexually abused nuns, and it seems for the first time in history. Uh, Pope Francis is the first pope to actually publicly condemn the ongoing decades-long abuse, which, you know, took them along long enough. He defrocked a cardinal and archbishop for sexually abusing minors and adults, making him the first cardinal to be removed for sexual abuse. Not surprisingly, though, former Pope Pope Benedict blames the Catholic sexual abuse on the 1960s sexual revolution. How cute. Because I, I mean, is he blaming or crediting? I don't think. It's awful. So yeah. that all happened in 2019. Super cool. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced an indefinite moratorium on the death penalty because it discriminates against marginalized communities. Reported for the first time, and according to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, after striking tall buildings, 600 million birds each year are killed. Chicago is the worst. Holy shit. Yeah, it feels like a lot. Uh, Notre Dame caught fire and destroyed its roof and spire. Uh, the World Health Organization announced it no longer classifies transgender as a mental health illness. I would like to remind you that that was 2019. A study finally put a price on the value of thoughts and prayers. Apparently, the average Christian is willing to pay $4 for a prayer, while the average atheist would pay $3 not to receive one. <laughs> so I found that those were interesting, interesting notes of 2019. That's hilarious. Also in 2019, Missy Elliott was the first female rapper inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. R. Kelly turned himself in and was arrested on 10 counts of aggravated criminal sexual abuse, which included three minors. 11 more came later that year. This hurts my heart. Luke Perry suffered a stroke and died. Oh. Yep. I know that was... It's 90210. Yeah, man. Yeah. Kylie Jenner became the world's youngest ever billionaire at the age of 21. College Gate, or Operation Varsity Blues, shocked the middle class and below when Lori Laughlin, or better known as Aunt Becky, and fellow actress Felicity Huffman uh, were among dozens charged in the U.S. college admission scandal. Janet Jackson, Def Leppard, The Cure, and my girl Stevie Nicks were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Avengers Endgame be- became the first film to make more than $1 billion 
dollars on opening weekend, bringing in an estimated $1.2 billion worldwide. In sports news, in 2019, Super Bowl 53. I'm so glad that I do the math beforehand because I would just be like Super Bowl a lot. Um, cause at this point it's like an L and, you know, three I's and I panic and then I have to do math and it gets weird. Um, Super Bowl 53, New England Patriots, Patriots beat the LA Rams, making it the sixth Super Bowl victory for the Patriots. Guessing that, Unfortunately, I'm guessing they probably have. won't have many more of those in the near future, but yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Um, U.S. national women's soccer team sued the U.S. Soccer Federation for equal pay, filing a federal gender discrimination lawsuit. And the that same year, the U.S. won their fourth title when they beat the Netherlands to nothing. Let's not talk about the game this morning. Because it will not be repeated. Um, Tiger Woods won his fifth Masters title, which was his 15th major and first in 11 years. St. Louis Blues defeated the Boston Bruins, taking the Stanley Cup file, fi- final. And in NBA history, Toronto Raptors beat the Golden State Warriors, winning their first ever championship. Babe Ruth's jersey was auctioned off for $5.64 million, making it the most expensive sports memorabilia item um, to be sold. And in the MLB World Series, the Washington Nationals beat the Houston Astros, winning their first title in franchise history. So that's 2019 in a nutshell. That's 2019 in a nutshell. And those are the things that I chose to cover. And may I remind you, we're here for a murder story, not a timeline story. I know, but it's good to be, it's good to be in the system. It's good to be it's thorough. Good to, it's good to be in the map, right? Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of notable things in 2019. You're a good woman. Are you shit-talking and me? And thorough. Are you shit-talking me? No, not at all. Oh. I've never done such a thing. Yeah, Sure. That's that's nice. At about 7.19 a.m. on April 1st, a typical spring day, Justin Bachheim, one of the newest employees, or as he referred to himself, the FNG, arrived at work. He chatted with a coworker outside while smoking a cigarette, and at about 7.25 a.m., he went inside the shop to start his work day. Before going inside, he noticed that his boss's pickup was not parked in its usual space, which seemed a little bit out of the ordinary. Do you know what FNG means, Jim? Fucking new guy. Uh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah. I was dead stopped at FNG. I know. He there. was ready to like start typing in the thing. I'm like, no, it's, yeah. So Thank sorry. You. I didn't, I didn't want to say the F word so soon, but here we are. Thanks, buddy. I forced it. Walking into the door of the shop about 10 feet from the door and to Justin's left, his boss laid on the, his big boss laid on the ground on his left side and surrounded by his own blood and broken eggs. Justin's boss, who had chickens on his hobby farm, was known for bringing eggs for his employees. Immediately, Justin thought his boss had slipped and fallen, or I guess or fallen, and and he called 911 for help and was instructed by the 911 operator to roll his boss over and begin chest compressions. Assuming it was a medical emergency, he complied, and even though his boss's eyes were rolled back and he assumed he was deceased, he continued to do the chest compressions. The 911 operator counted for him, trying to help him keep his pace. Justin's exhausted, breathless voice counted with her. Approximately five minutes after calling 911, emergency services arrived on scene and took over. Justin went to the bathroom located in the shop to wash his hands, which were now covered in blood. Walking out of the bathroom, he was promptly escorted out of the building. With a typical workday beginning at 8 a.m., employees began showing up for work but were met by law enforcement not allowing them to enter the building. One of those employees was co-owner Jackie Fockler, whose husband was lying in a pool of his own blood mixed with dozens of broken eggs. When Bruce Tesnes, an officer with the Mandan Police Department, arrived on scene, paramedics showed him the wounds that were on their patient's chest, and he immediately requested detectives to respond. Employees had their systems and routines in place at RJR Maintenance and Management, which is located in Mandan, North Dakota. Every morning, co-owner Robert Fockler, along with his right-hand man, Bill Cobb, and one of the lead maintenance workers, Adam Fuhrer, had coffee together at the shop, referring to it as their, quote, coffee club. RJR was a close-knit group, and it was clear. Robert Fockler and his wife, Jackie, purchased the company and made it their own sometime in 2011. Specializing in commercial and residential property management, the company managed over a thousand units in various North Dakota towns. April 1st was similar to every other day, except for an unexpected visitor. Bill and his wife, Lois, also an employee, arrived at 6.30 a.m. and 6.40 a.m. respectfully. Adam Fear arrived at 7.01 a.m., followed by Robert Fockler at 7.06. All would be dead within 30 minutes. The killer arrived at approximately 6.47 a.m. and was gone shortly after Robert arrived at 7.08 a.m. Chilling. 
When Morton County investigators arrived and realized the magnitude of the scene they had on their hands, it made sense to bring in the North Dakota Bureau of Criminal Investigation, or BCI, for assistance. The RJR headquarters was and is an incredibly expansive building, so processing the entire place was no easy feat. Investigators began their walkthrough, and to the left of the shop door, where paramedics first began working, as though it were a medical emergency, was Robert Robert Fockler. He was evi- it was evident that he was in a struggle with the assailant because of what appeared to be defensive wounds on his palms and left upper arm. He had been stabbed 11 times, along with significant cuts to his face. There were three stab wounds to the front of the chest, two to the left side of the body, and three to the back. The fatal blow were the three stab wounds to the front, which cut into his heart. They would have caused death within 10 seconds to five minutes. Broken eggs meant for employees, surrounded his body along with bloody shoe or boot prints. Blood drips, which were believed to have belonged to the attacker, led the way to Adam Fuhrer's body. He had been shot three times, two to the back and one to his right upper chest. There was no stippling or gunshot residue. Investigators believe that Adam was facing away from the assailant and then turned towards him. So likely a surprise. So this this means he was shot from a distance. He was not shot maybe more point than, blank, more than, more but not on feet. his body. More yeah. than a few feet. Yep. He also had five stab wounds to his neck, three to his upper chest, and three to the right side of his back. It was believed the wounds to the neck may have been a targeted area because they were somewhat clustered. The gunshot to the upper chest was likely the fatal blow because of the damage it caused to the aorta. It was possible all of his injuries could have been inflicted within two minutes, but he could have died within five minutes, so it took him longer to die than it did for him to be attacked. In the office area, Bill and Lois Cobb were found. Bill Cobb had between four and eight gunshot wounds to his head, chest, both arms, and right shoulder. It was difficult to narrow down because, or how many uh, gunshot wounds there actually were, because it was possible that more than one wound was caused by the same bullet. There was also no gunshot residue or or stippling. He also had 28, 28, 28 stab wounds to the front of his body from collarbone to abdomen, all varying from half inch to three quarters of an inch. The medical examiner was unable to determine whether the stab wounds were inflicted before or after death. Both head and chest wounds would have been fatal. Jesus. Lois Cobb was stabbed 48 times, 4-8, in the front and back, with 15 of those on her back from her neck to her lower pelvic bone, numerous cutting wounds to her neck and face, and two stab wounds to her left arm. There were five deep cuts to the left and right sides of her neck, and 16 total to her neck and face. The deep cut on the left side of her neck and her cr- cut her carotid artery, which would have been lethal in under six minutes. Many of the stab wounds caused internal organ damage, four wounds to the heart, with one going through the heart, as well as to the lungs, liver, and stomach. Many of the stab wounds to her back were so deep that they actually hit the chest wall. She also had one single gunshot wound to the chest. There was stippling at the gunshot wound, which means the weapon was in close contact. It was unclear in which order the attack happened, but the deep cuts on her neck were not likely her last wounds. Lois had recently had a hysterectomy and should not have been back to work yet. Robert Fockler was the only victim that did not have any gunshot wounds. Okay. Let's, let's pull back a break here. Is a, a break Holy, is a nice. Mm-hmm. That is an onslaught of horrific violence yes. and spread across what sounds like these are all Across this building. Do you, you said the building was very large. The building was massive. It was massive. And so where the bodies were, where uh, Robert Fockler, like right inside the shop door. And then on the other side of the shop, kind of catty corner, was Adam Fuhrer. On blueprints, what it looks like is just on the other side of a wall, but I think it was much, much more than that. Okay. And that's where the office, bathroom, and employee break room were. It's, it's so... It's so- which person do they do you, do they believe was murdered first? Because it's hard. It's I'll it's hard. It's, yeah, I know, but it's it's like hard to see this playing out. Because you were these people running and hiding. You know, right. the one was clearly in a fight. Did they? This is so spread out. Yep. yep it and is. and the the combination of violence of 
knife and gun violence that that occurred throughout this. I'm guessing the the first guy that had no bullet wounds may have been the last one and dude was out of bullets. I just, you know, speculating, but that is spread across a whole. Well, and remember when I said that as far as timeline... 11 minutes. This was about 11 minutes of violence that occurred here was the speculation. I, yeah, I caught that um, on the front side between like 647 and 708 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was about, well, yeah, they got there at about 630 and then, you know, they showed up uh, subsequently afterwards. And all of these employees, most of them arrived separately, right? Yep. Yep. They arrived at separate times. Okay. Yep. So there appeared to have been signs of a struggle in the office area, which evidence shows it was likely between Bill and the attacker. In the middle of the office area, the fire extinguisher was in the middle of the floor, and a chair appeared to have hit a wall before resting in a tipped-over manner. And you can imagine the amount of evidence processed in a scene with four victims and in such a large building. But aside from blood evidence, there was a fair amount of, of physical evidence as well. Yeah, this is hundreds and hundreds of pieces of evidence for sure. In the office, there was a bank card and a concealed weapon ID just tossed on the floor. Adam's wallet in the shop was found on the floor of the shop with his ID being found separately. Investigators felt that the attacker was attempting to ID ID at least two of the victims. So it seemed as though their ID, after they were killed, their wallet was taken out and the assailant may have been looking to, okay. Yeah. So So looking for someone. In the shop. Maybe doesn't even know who. Well, that's, we'll get there. So in the shop, there were copper jackets found in various places, and the absence of shell casings made law enforcement believe one of the murder weapons was a revolver. And even if the assailant had picked up all of the shell casings, it would be statistically impossible to retrieve all of them, given the time frame and the amount of space that this occurred in. Huh. So that's, they were able to figure out that that's, what it, that's okay. what it would come back to, or come down to. There was also a zip saw on the floor of the shop, and investigators felt this may have been one of the murder weapons. While investigators were processing the bodies and evidence at the scene, an employee from Indigo Signs, which is less than one minute down the road from RJR, or 0.2 miles if you want to be specific, if you aren't from around these parts, we measure in time, uh, this employee called law enforcement because a vehicle belonging to RJR Maintenance and Management was in their parking lot. Seems a little odd, right? Even though it's close. But unbeknownst to the Indigo Signs employee, that vehicle was typically driven by Bill Cobb. The vehicle would hopefully offer more pieces to this complicated puzzle. And in a pro move, BCI agents processing the vehicle sealed the doors to protect the integrity of the scene. That, that way, making sure that nobody got in or got out. Until it was... Until it was time. Okay. Until they could actually process it. Investigators collected possible fiber evidence on the front passenger door handle, and there was a palm print found on the front passenger side door. There were also blood stains found, and those appeared to have been transfer stains. So possibly so not, a getaway vehicle here. Potentially, yeah. yep. And, and I think it's important to note that it's transfer stains. So if I have blood on my hand and then touch you, it's not actual uh, cast off or anything like that. Right. It's because I had blood on my hand and then touched yeah. your arm. Blood not as a direct result of the violence that occurred, but right. that was on something. And yeah. yeah. So once processed, it did not take long for investigators to develop theories as to what possibly happened. It was possible the attacker could potentially have gone between victims, but it was also quite likely the victims were killed in a particular order. For instance, Bill and Lois Cobb first, because they arrived first, followed by Adam Fuhrer, and then Robert Faulkner. So remember the timing of it. You know, Bill and, Bill and Lois arrived at 6.30, Adam Fuhrer was like at 6.47, I believe, and then Robert Faulkner was at 7.02 or 7.06, I'd have to look back. But they also felt that one or more of the victims were specific targets, while the other victims may have just been killed for the simple reason of preventing witnesses. Wow. These are rapid-fire theories getting developed here. Yeah. And the surveillance video offered a great deal of insight, even though none of the murders were recorded. So none of the murders happened on surveillance video or and were not recorded. But not only did it show when each victim arrived, like I mentioned before, it also showed when the attacker arrived and left. Okay. Yeah, so that, that really helps with the timeline. Mm-hmm. And they were also able to develop an initial description for one attacker, and that's it. On the video, the attacker was wearing a mask, potentially orange in color, a jacket, 
also potentially orange, dark-colored pants, shoes, and gloves throughout the recording. The suspect was potentially driving a white Ford pickup between the years of 2004 and 2008. When they arrived, the suspect was, when that, when the suspect arrived, he was carrying or they were carrying a wire tool. And when they left, they were carrying something against their chest, cradled in a football style. The video showed, showed only five people on camera and no evidence to suggest another attacker was in the building. So under no circumstances was this a, a person who worked with somebody else. He, this person was it. They were the lone attacker. Okay. And otherwise, I mean, it would have been picked up on camera. They had cameras everywhere. Well, not quite everywhere, but close enough. Enough to cover all the exits and, yes. and to really yep. feel good about the conclusion of there being right. one attacker. Right. Within the first two days, law enforcement conducted approximately 50 interviews, interviewing all of the employees of RJR. Of RJR right? and Do we know how many employees they have? We not at that time. Okay. It had, it's changed a, a bit, but and they've had to hire more since this, obviously. But it was it was quite a few, and they also began developing a list of suspects. Obviously, RJR employee Mitch Kessel was suspicious at first. He initially showed up for work that day, but saw law enforcement in the parking lot, panicked, and before they could talk to him, he left in a white Ford pickup. Oh boy! Which was similar to the suspect vehicle. So obviously they're thinking, this is our dude, that's that. No, he was not. <laughs> he was not. He I mean, just, that's a pretty quick conclusion. Uh, right, yeah. It's right? like, oh, like, we're going to wrap this one up. No, no, he was... Poor um, guy was probably just feeling paranoid on his way to work I think for some so. reason or yeah. another. And a lot probably, of people don't feel good when they see the 5-0, okay? Right. I mean, he probably had pot in his pocket here. or something, yeah. you know? Lois Cobb's son was also on the list. She was one of the victims. It was reported that uh, her son had a questionable and tumultuous relationship with Bill and Lois, his mom and stepdad. He was quickly eliminated because he was able to prove he was out of North Dakota at the time of the murders. Okay. Not surprisingly, Robert's wife and business partner, co-owner Jackie Fockler, was also on the short list. After a forensic audit of RJR's finances and looking at the life insurance payout that she would have received for Robert, they were able to rule out financial gain as a positive, po possible motive for her to kill him. But as usual, there's a little more to the story than anyone knew, including her. While investigators looked through Robert's phone, they found more than enough evidence of an affair. Detectives found explicit text messages between Robert and a woman who was not his wife, but a longtime tenant and someone Jackie had known for years. Her name was Lisa Nelson. And the affair had also been going on for several years. Long before the murders, a former employee had overheard Jackie say she would never divorce Robert, but she would have him, quote, taken care of. Oh, when investigators told Jackie about the affair, because that, of course, was news to her, her devastation and surprise were genuine. She, it was clear she had absolutely no clue her husband had been having an affair. So some employee said she would have Robert taken care of in the event, as opposed to a divorce, which maybe implies she knew something was going on and was feeling something about it. But then she's like, no, there's, there's no way she had no clue that this was happening. The way she I mean, later... People make dark jokes. Right. Absolutely. That's why I'm very, very cautious. Now, when I text somebody and I'm like, I will murder you. I will not murder you. I will harm you. Or I will not say anything at all. Because if somebody reads my text... Uh, and this guy shows up dead. I'm done. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Right? I mean, so just be very mindful about what you're saying to someone or having someone over here. Yeah. But, it's like there were, there was used to be, you know, these jokes of, Hey, what's going on this weekend? It's like, well, I don't know. Probably going to have some drinks and then punt babies or something. You know, like you can't, you can't just say that stuff. I'm sorry. Has anybody said that? Does anybody say that? <laughs> it happens out there, Don Palumbo on internet message boards and all that kinds is a, of places. That is a weird example. Yeah. That's a weird well, example. People say things. They do. It's true. Dark humor is See, out there. I'm judging you now. Yeah. See? See what happens? Yeah. And it, yeah. I've been judged. <laughs> He's a child abuser. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but she she had absolutely no no clue. And she had even made the comment before to Robert that if she ever caught him cheating, she would be, bury him, basically. As a joke. Yeah, of course. And that's what they that's what they chalked it up to. Eventually, and they said there was no financial motive because what? The life insurance and the finances yeah, weren't the, great? The, the, no, the finances weren't in shambles and you know they didn't she didn't need to kill him to get okay. some money or anything. She had like no that. financial so motive. There was, there was no gain for her no, there. It was no, all right. No. 
And so she was eventually cleared as a suspect. They, they chalked up those comments to just regular old banter. So who was the masked man in the white Ford pickup? Someone had to have seen them, and especially in the hours when the majority of people are going to work. A woman who works at McDonald's just down the street noticed a person walking in a mask, which seemed out of place because it was a warm morning. It's April 1st. It's 40 degrees. We're North Dakotans. It's you don't not need, North Dakota you, mask. You, you don't need a mask. No. It, easily wait until it's 40 below. Yeah, you're a month you a mask, late right? on the need for a yeah. mask for sure. Yep. And so he walked towards a white Ford pickup parked in the McDonald's parking lot, but struggled to get in for a few minutes before he finally gained entry and drove away towards Memorial Highway. So also, how dumb is he that he can't get in his car? Why are you struggling to get in your vehicle? Yeah. They didn't cover that. And with this information, investigators were able to piece together the potential route that he used or they used by using area surveillance video. The pickup had identifiable characteristics. There was rust on the vehicle in certain patterns and items in the back of the vehicle, in the cab of the vehicle. It was a snow-covered plate. So it was very, very easily uh, identifiable for sure. They followed the path from Memorial Highway to Main Street, then out of town. It was caught on video from Flying J on Old Highway 10. I say that like we all know where that is. I have no idea. Then north on Highway 25. Google Maps knows if you really want to see That's it. all that matters, yeah. In center North Dakota, the vehicle was seen on surveillance from a bank. Then finally, once again, surveillance video from a gas station showed the vehicle crossing a bridge near Washburn. That's, that's an elaborate tracking across how many miles right there? That's Lots. Yeah. I can't do yeah. the math, but that... Like, I can do time, this together, like a half right, an hour? Yeah, right yeah. down the highway, mm-hmm. chunk by chunk here. Yep. So it's possible, and remember to, let's talk about that, put a pin in that, because I want to I wanna bring that up okay. at the end. So it's possible... Don't let us forget that, because I might forget, so... And we all know I'm not going to remember. I can't make eye contact with you. I'm certainly not going to remember that. At our, at our last show in Wapaton, there was a question. I was like, Dawn, remember to ask me about this at the end of the episode. Did and she remember. was about to forget, and one of our fans in the audience was like, hey, ask yeah, she, him about that. She like she brought needs- up this piece of paper and was like, here, don't forget that. I was like, thank you, we're... I need, I need notes all the time. So yeah, piecing yeah. together that surveillance. The surveillance, stuff. yep. So it's possible the suspect had also been in the area prior to April 1st, 2019. So while reviewing surveillance video in area business before they gave it to law enforcement or after, they found him or this person that seemed like it was equally suspicious activity on March 25th, 2019. So about a, a week prior and it was similar activity from likely the same individual a week later. And what do we mean by similar activity? Like some dipshit who couldn't get into his car in a McDonald's <laughs> parking lot? Like what's going on? Parked in a similar place. Okay. Had a very, very similar walk. His All walk right. doesn't make him a dipshit, but it's very identifiable. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I mean, it was, it was very, very clear. And at the same time of day, you know, why is, why is this person there at the same time and going, you know, a week prior and then a week later shows up in the same exact manner? Seems sketch right seems sus is that did we ruin that for children now now that we said sus i hope so and sketch i know because it's really dumb like why do we say <laughs> sus suspect weird it took me so long to actually say that word anyway kids i tell you it's been a week anyway so law enforcement uh, used this information to alert other law enforcement agencies about the sus vehicle or suspect vehicle you guys could have laughed at that. Adults listen Thank to this. You. Come on. Just, Thank we'll, you. We'll just use right. the full I, well, I, It was like perfect timing for a joke and then nobody laughed. So that's fine. I got a pity laugh there. I appreciate it. So in the photos provided, the vehicle damage was highlighted for distinguishing characteristics of the vehicle since there are hundreds of thousands of white Ford pickups that could t- potentially match that description. So they obviously wanted to make that clear to, you know, somebody thinking that their neighbor was responsible there were, there were clear rust patterns, clear characteristics. Just suddenly everyone is suspicious of their white pickup driving neighbor. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> Which is half the fucking, half the neighborhoods in, right. in, in the community. Right. Yeah. So shortly after the BOLO, if you will, or the be on the lookout was sent out, a lieutenant with the McLean County Sheriff's Department recognized the vehicle because it had been seen in Washburn many times. In a very small town, it's easy to notice those things, and especially when you know the vehicle owner and driver. And in this case, the driver of the vehicle was the lieutenant's chiropractor, Chad Isaac. Oh. 
So on the evening of April 2nd, the day after the killings, Lieutenant Justin Cromer started looking for Isaac's pickup. It wasn't at his chiropractic office, and it wasn't at his mobile home. Keenly aware of what this could potentially mean, Lieutenant Cromer continued to keep his eyes out, you know, eyes peeled. He's looking for it. He's finding it. And it wasn't until April 4th that the lieutenant found the vehicle located at Isaac's home. He and another deputy went back to Isaac's mobile home to take pictures of the vehicle to see if it matched the description. All the while, Isaac is watching from the window as they're taking photos. Just peeking out his blinds, looking at the cops, taking pictures of his car. Yeah. Law enforcement was... (laughs) That's so creepy. It's so funny, too. Well, I mean, let's face it. If if somebody were taking pictures of my car, I'd probably be looking as well. Yeah. I mean, I'd be a little more covert, maybe, but I don't know. It's like like everybody's first time ever maybe being stoned, and you think the cops are going to come find you doing it. Like looking out the window. Oh, no! Law enforcement was also watching him, too, and he, he was aware. When Isaac left his home later that afternoon on April 4th at approximately 3.45 p.m., the McLean County Sheriff's Department initialed, or initiated a traffic stop with six to eight officers in total, along with an armored vehicle and a helicopter. According to Lieutenant Cromer, when Isaac was told to get on the ground, he smirked. He they was, always do. He was then told... I don't think so. I don't I, think that they do. They do, man. I. Okay. Well, I'm going to agree to disagree. And now, I'm, now I would like statistics from law enforcement, please. Um, so he was then told he was being taken in for questioning, but he still remained nonchalant and calm. He also didn't ask what he was being questioned for. People get weird in stressful situations. So I'll cut him some slack there, but it's weird. Yeah, I, I feel most people who are, you know, suddenly getting arrested are going to be like, hey, WTF. Let's yeah, see. like, would you please tell me what happened? Yeah. yeah why am I He's just like, okay. Going? He's like, oh, cool. Here's my smirk. Now take me. Yeah. Just like they all do. <laughs> just like not many do. So during the, during the trial, there was a tremendous amount of discussion about the clothing worn by the suspect. And if it was the same person on surveillance nearly a day's worth of testimony. It, so I'm, I know we've, we've jumped here, but... We just went from arrest to trial real quick here. Basically, yes. This, they, so, they used an army and a helicopter and like three <laughs> tanks to arrest this guy, and now we're at trial. Basically. Okay. He, he was... There's a lot. There's a lot yeah. to it. Um, obviously, they did their investigation. They felt that he was the guy, and they charged him. But the, the issue was it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And then we had COVID. And so it was just a, it was a bit oh. of a, a gong show as far as actually getting this person charged and, and there. So yes, they charged him and he pled not guilty. So okay. now's where we, now's where we unpack all of the information because there's a lot. Did anybody watch the court TV of this case? Any of the, the live? stuff it was absolutely fascinating right and it was it was a, a bit of a shit show and um but also you couldn't look away right it was something that happened and you know as we're as we drive from here to bismarck we pass through this town right and it's like how is this even possible yeah i've so, never seen a shit show i could look away from let me tell well, you that's true that's true <laughs> <laughs> so there was uh, law enforcement also began after after arresting him they began searching his two-bedroom, two-bathroom mobile home. There were yellow, yellow sticky notes all over the place, which if you're going to judge somebody, judge me too, because I have sticky notes everywhere. But um, there were two that stood out to law enforcement that said something to the effect of, quote, you're not the caped crusader, only fight the battles you can win. And, quote, this is the time of the year when you do stupid things. And this is, he wrote this on a post-it note, stuck it, Correct. Somewhere in his home. Yes. And those are the two that stood out. So I was yeah. like, I'm not Batman, and I sometimes, at I, this I time, do some dumb I do shit stupid at this things. Point. Yeah, at this time of year. I, I mean, those are hardly disturbing. Right. Just something but if to keep, he's, in, if he's telling to keep his, in mind. He's trying to remind himself he's not Batman, which, just getting into his head, what he, he believes there's some vigilante justice he needs mm-hmm. to dole out, because that's kind of what Batman does. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, because he's not like, he's he's a superhero, but not... Superhero, right? Yeah, he's not, yeah, not always yeah he's not super. He's just a billionaire, which makes him even less super. <laughs> in the as they continued on the search, I could talk about Batman all day, and I, I would be distracted. So, um, in the as they continued the search in the bat in the bathroom located in the hallway, 
the smell of bleach was undeniable. It was overpowering. In the shower was a bottle of bleach, and in the sink was a watch that smelled strongly of bleach as well. Inside the washing machine was a 14-inch knife that looked as though it had been washed, and the knife tip was slightly bent. I know it's in the wash. washing I, machine. It was in the washing machine. That is the most hilariously absurd place I've ever heard a knife being found. Also, can you imagine the sound that made it as it went through a cycle? Yeah. Yes. Like I imagine he left the trailer when that shit was going on. Yeah. I mean, I you can't stick around to hear a knife rattle in the washing machine for forty-five minutes. Right. Bleach cycle. I and. I know that's not what we should focus on. I think he on, threw his whites but, in there with it. Right, but it was weird. It's like, it's a, you put it in the washing machine. And like, you just didn't take it out? But then you, for ble- days? You, you bleached your watch, but you didn't, but you didn't bleach the night. Like, not that we want to give a person ideas or make them get away with it. It just seems you could have been just a wee bit smarter on it. Anyway, also, but I know I, I said it, but it's important to note that the knife tip was slightly bent. In the dryer yeah, was... Yeah, probably blunt from striking a chest plate. There's that. Um, in the dryer was an orange hoodie, a black and orange jacket, two black jackets, black pants, a reversible face mask, black shoes, and socks. The interesting thing is, I, and I didn't, I, I didn't want to give it away right away, but the, the McDonald's employee who noticed this person walking, he was not wearing an orange... Right. Face covering. On the surveillance video, he was wearing an orange face covering. The McDonald's employee saw camouflage. Well, guess what? The face mask was orange on one side and camouflage print on the other. Okay. So, in another search, a gun was found in the freezer in a plastic container with the label, quote, Chad's Veg Soup. And when the container was opened, it smelled obnoxiously of bleach along with parts of a handgun that also appeared to have been bleach so is this is not an edible soup it is not a lot of veggies at all yeah no no the gun barrel and cylinder were missing which would make testing for ballistics all but impossible and it was believed that the parts belonged to a ruger 357 revolver which connects of course to what they believed was a murder weapon a revolver also in the freezer was a dark-handled knife and pocket saws. The pocket saw were, was similar to what was found at RJR. I know that's where I like to keep my weapons, is in the freezer. But They also searched Isaac's Ford pickup. On the passenger side door handle, the passenger inside door handle, the rear passenger inside door handle, and the bottom frame of the passenger door footboard, Blood evidence was found using the chemical Blue Star, which turns a bluish-green color when in contact with blood. Those samples were sent to the state lab. When law enforcement searched Isaac's office, they found a day planner with an entry that said, quote, stay, RJR, me. I hope he understood his shorthand, but um, it doesn't say a whole lot. It just, you know, gave it away with the RJR. It's like one of those weird little notes you write yourself and you promise you're going to remember what it means and you look at it a month later and you're like, what the hell is this? That's why I have so many post-it notes. Yeah. That's because I remember. Um, In all, law enforcement retrieved 38 items of evidence from Isaac's home, 23 pieces of evidence from his person, 37 from his pickup, 7 from his office, and 19 from Bill Cobb's pickup. And Bill Cobb's, of course, being the pickup that was abandoned just outside of RJR. Yep, at... uh, indigo signs so the list of so what they've taken and normally we don't go quite into the 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 dirty details on on this part but i found it pretty fascinating especially since there was question over the evidence so from the truck the fiber that was found was an orange fiber and that was found in the door handle of the truck that's what they originally took the fact that it's orange that's a big that's a big sign from uh, also from William Cobb's or Bill Cobb's truck, they had orange fibers inside the pickup, swabs from the steering wheel, the gear shift bar, and the armrest, as well as the set of keys that were also swabbed for blood. From Chad Isaac, they took the clothing he was wearing, fingernail clippings, a DNA sample, orange fiber from inside one of his shoes, as well as um, you know just other fibers found. Then from his home, of course, they took the watch, nine spent shell casings, 
a drain strainer in the sink of the bathroom, orange mask, orange hooded sweatshirt, the clothing in the dryer, the knife from the washing machine, the gun parts located in the freezer, and the black gloves. From his office, the biggest thing that they took was, of course, the day planner. From his, from his pickup, they took swabs of what they believed to have been blood from the door latch, the driver's side seatbelt, the blaze orange fibers on the driver's seat, as well as other articles of clothing inside the truck, and additional swabs. Uh, interesting, uh, the, the shell casings, the spent shell casings, is earlier the theory was that any killer may not have had time to pick up their shell casings, and now they've found what could be... Because what happens is they stay, they remain in the revolver. They they remain there, so you have to empty them out. Okay. And that's how you get them. As That's my understanding of it. When they had all of the evidence sent for testing, human blood was not detected on any of his clothing, but something to note is that it had been washed. And so, and, and the knife also didn't show any human blood either, but it obviously had been tossed around in the rinse cycle. And it, it's important to know that bleach or laundry detergent can break down or degrade proteins and DNA. So it's just because it's not showing up doesn't actually mean that it wasn't used. The gloves seized from his home didn't appear to have any human blood either, which for me that sticks out because if those were the gloves that were used, you'd think that they would be covered. Covered. But Impossi- impossibly covered in blood with all the stabbing that occurred. If that's the murder weapon, mm-hmm. those are... Yeah. I don't know how much how how good of a washing machine you have with your bleach cycle, but I don't know if it's going right. to get them gloves right. for you. So his fingernail clippings uh they were able to exclude Bill Cobb, Lois Cobb, Robert Fockler and Adam Fear from the sample because again he was wearing gloves. Okay. His door jam swab, there was a partial profile and a mixture of two or more profiles. Robert Fockler cannot be excluded as a contributor to the major profile. And the minor partial profile was at least two individuals. And Chad Isaac and Lois Cobb cannot be excluded. So that means there are, you know, it's not saying it's absolutely them, but they can't be excluded. Sure. And oftentimes what you're looking to, what happens with DNA is you're looking to be able to exclude somebody. There's oftentimes with DNA that you cannot exactly pinpoint that it was this one person, Mm -hmm. but you can for sure say... It wasn't that. Right. So, I mean, sometimes it, DNA can be very vague like that in these I think cases so. yeah. like that. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's sometimes not, for, it's not it's all, forgotten that it's not, again, oftentimes it's, not it's used CSI, to exclude you. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. It's um, a piece of uh, the vehicle plastic piece that was taken from Chad Isaac's vehicle. Uh, Robert Fockler and Lois Cobb were not able to be excluded. Bill Cobb and Adam Fear could be. Usually I feel like I need a flow chart because our victims or our murderers have so many sex partners. But in this case, I feel like I need a DNA flow chart the for DNA the way this chart. is, this is kind of breaking down. It is. So basically some can be excluded. Some of the victims can be, some of them can't be in a nutshell. And no, they took underneath his fingernails and remind me how long after the murders did this arrest occur? Two days. Just two days. And no defensive wounds on Chad Isaac. Or, or no like assault wounds, I guess, in his case. Not no, a, he did have some scratches. Some, but of course, he had a, he had a, 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 reason, a for reason for them. Which we, right? Okay. Yeah. So he did have a reason for them. However, it's... We see so many times in these extremely violent altercations, especially where a knife is concerned, mm-hmm. that the assailant ends up with uh, some self-inflicting wounds in the sure. course of these murders. Sure. And of course, or in this case, would have defensive scratches, marks, something. Yeah. Yeah. But n- really nothing on him. Nothing on nothing on him. He had some, he had some scratches that were... Uh, I believe this will be the right use of the term circumstantial. Okay. You can, you can, you can put it there, but you don't have actual evidence or proof. So the, during the trial, like I said, this went back and forth, back and forth. And of, of course, if you're a defense attorney, your job is to make sure that your client is acquitted, is exonerated. And I think that they did a, a, a fair job of, of trying to bring those things in. There was a lot of drama with this because originally, and part of the delay at one point was one of his original attorney was like, he, like, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. And this was months, just months before he was supposed to go to trial. And 
so they ended up pushing it to August. Then his backup, his, the secondary uh, law firm was like, well, if he's out, we're out because that's going to take too much manpower and we can't do this. And the judge said, no, we're not doing this anymore. And so they had to. And then another was partner. Was public defender forward. or hired it was, lawyer? He had both, but okay. it, was pub- it, was, it ended up being public defender at that point. So when going back to the surveillance, um, the the surveillance video, their big thing for the defense was that there were so many gaps and holes that there's no way you can put him in this in this spot because there were seconds, minutes, and even a couple of hours at one point. Looking at the the surveillance videos and the way that they had it all pieced together, it's a nice try. But it it you can just you can clearly see easy to poke holes in it, in their timeline it, because of that surveillance video is, and the yeah. patches of of yep. time that are unaccounted for. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the trial lasted just a little over a week, and there were numerous witnesses, and I spent about thirty five hours of my life watching. Um, just nothing but court TV over the last week. You're so, not alone in this area. Nope. nope. Um, yeah. So it was watching the, the trial archives were, were fascinating, especially after so much time had been, had passed. But, um, it was interesting to see the way that the defense tried to bring up reasonable doubt. What did the prosecution put forward as a motive? They did not have one. He did not have one. That always, that bothers so, me. What ha- so my big question throughout this whole thing was because there was no motive, how did they even come in the same world, right? Like how were they how were they connected? So through the through the investigation, the connection of Chad Isaac to any of these people, they didn't come up with anything. Well, not for motive, but they did find a connection. What's the So his mobile home is actually in a mobile home park that is owned or that is managed by RJR. But there there was no conflict. At one point he was it's responsible. It's a very loose connection. It's right. right. It's, There's you no just personal to, connection no between personal these connection. individuals and him. It's just, oh, that that company. The only time, according to court records, the only time that Robert Faulkner knew and Jackie Faulkner met him was at a meet and greet when they took over the management of the park. And then he was doing, he was moving some, at the end of his cul-de-sac in the mobile home park, he was moving snow and in the, in the wintertime. And so Robert Faulkner had uh, contacted him to see, you know, hey, you know, can you, are you interested in continuing that? We'll pay you for that. Never heard back from him. Is this one of those mobile home, home parks that was really reasonable to live at for a while and your lot rent was like 150 bucks? And then RJR took over and was like, hey, your, your lot rent's $1,000 now. Yeah. Is that, did that happen here? Do we know? It was not in court records. Okay. But that was actually a question I had too, because we've seen sometimes it. it's terrible. Like, it's happened locally, right? And yeah. you just have to wonder. Um, but no, it's, it, it was, it was not. I wish I had more to offer there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, no, no cell phone records, no personal nope. anything. He was not connected to the affair. Nope. Okay. In no way. And they even, investigators did try to connect, like, you know, would, did Jackie hire him? Is that, you know, is that part of it? Did, did Lisa Nelson, the, uh, the person that was having the affair with Robert Faulkner, did she have any connection? There was no connection between any of that. I appreciate you yeah. putting that out there because I like to eliminate some of these possibilities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in my mind. Like yep. what, obviously the motive is the, the intent always matters so much to me in these things. For sure. Yeah. Especially, I guess, if you have maybe some circumstantial, if this is a circumstantial case. And I don't know if this is, but, I wouldn't say I, w- I wouldn't say it would be. I mean, it's interesting how you know because you don't need motive to prove murder, right? No. You don't need motive. However, um, I guess I'd like to know. I'm not alone, but um, the case after, like I said, after about a week and a half, uh, the case did go to deliberation, and after four and a half hours over two days, the jury that was comprised of six men and six women found Chad Isaac guilty of four murders, as well as guilty of burglary for unlawfully entering the RJR building and the unlawful entry into Bill Cobb's RJR vehicle. He was sentenced to four consecutive life sentences without the opportunity for parole in December 2021. Judge David Reich said, quote, Mr. Isaac took the lives of four innocent people with a senseless act of extreme and brutal violence in this case. And in doing so, he not only killed four innocent people, he adversely impacted the lives of scores of family members and friends 
of the victim. So. Did he take the stand? He did not. Okay. He did not. On July 31st, 2022, at 6.24 p.m., Chad Isaac was pronounced dead. He died by suicide while in prison at the North Dakota State Penitentiary. His attorneys argued that his conviction should be vacated since he is deceased. Holy shit. I, Which, this is going first to... First of all, yeah, wow. Right. But second of all, why should your conviction be vacated since you're deceased? Right. I'm not sure. I don't feel uh, like that's how that works. Uh, um, no, I, I don't yeah. think so. I, I've yeah. heard better arguments I, for such. Right. And they, they did have, you know, with the appeal, they did put forth a few um, ideas, right, and, and uh, reasons as to why it should be overturned. Uh, just because you die in custody does not mean that that automatically gets overturned. Again, that's not how that typically works. Justice, Justice McEvers responded to the appeal saying, quote, his counsel argues the case should either be dismissed because the judgment is not yet final or the appeal should be decided on the merits. The state argues the appeal is moot and the judgment should stand. The judgment stands as issued by the district court. I feel in this situation that even if it was circumstantial uh, for Chad Isaac to die by suicide, it does feel like an admittance of, the, of guilt. Oh, I don't for know. For me, it does. I'm yeah. not, I'm, but this is very weird to have four, four people dead. You've got the situation where it's the belief that he's looking for someone by looking at these IDs. Mm -hmm. Then you're, you're trying to identify somebody. So there was potentially intent there. You were mm -hmm. wanted a specific target and these other people emerged as in your way in pursuit of that murder. And things that, things that came up that the defense used, they were, they were trying to, um, the majority of, we are in the Midwest, and the majority of the employees carried weapons. Oddly enough, they didn't have an HR policy that says you can't carry it with you on in the building. So were these victims were armed, you're saying? They were. So Holy shit, they really? Had, they had, uh, three of them typically carried a gun. Um, Jackie Fockler herself carried a gun, uh, whether it be in their purse Behind the door of Bill Cobb's office, there was a, a rifle as well as a, and then a, a holstered handgun in his desk or in a, I guess it was more of a credenza, but um, yeah, I mean, there were guns all over this place and I feel like there should be an HR policy for that. Um, I think most places do have one. This, this seemed to be more of a lackadaisical kind of uh, HR system where you just don't have it. Yeah, um, sure. A very gun-friendly HR yep. system. Yep. And, uh, employees can be strapped, <laughs> but they were all, they were all, uh, ruled out because they weren't revolvers and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that, that, that mattered. So it, they were trying to, the defense was trying to point that it could have been, you know, another employee, right? Or because they are in the property management business that had to be an angry tenant, you know, using examples of angry tenants and, and, you know, and, and, you know, you've got some pissed off tenant that you, you're evicting, right? And they're, you know, at one point they had pulled a gun on someone or this tenant had pulled a gun on someone. It, so they use lots and lots of those examples, but nothing ever held water. Nothing, nothing enough that would, strong enough that would, cause reasonable doubt or someone to think that there was reasonable doubt of Chad Isaac's guilt. Right. So the, the idea here is that because all of these employees regularly carried weapons, maybe one of them could have been the killer, but mm -hmm. that's a gun, not a knife. And uh, again, right. why? And then who kills the last employee? Yeah. It, it's, and it's less, it makes less sense than Chad Isaac without having a motive, right? Like it, that makes less sense if you can't pinpoint any reason or anything like that. It, uh, well, I, I guess I was just more surprised that Chad Isaac clearly ambushed and, and killed these four people, or uh, according to the official record, he ambushed mm -hmm. and killed these four people who were armed. And, sure. Uh, but that, none, that none is... were armed on, on their person. They did not have them with oh, them at okay. that time. Okay. Okay. What I, what I struggled with after, or I guess bef before getting really into the, the details and the, the nitty gritty here was how can one person be responsible for four individuals? How, like, how is that possible? Right? Like, 
But if you look at it, if you look at timing, timing right. says everything. Like the, timing explains that perfectly. The timing and, and you didn't ambush four people in the break room. They were right. all spread out right. across not, each place. So you, you get the first one. Okay. Then you're moving around. The next mm-hmm. one arrives. Uh, it does yep. not feel, these feel like four independent kills yep. within minutes of one another. Right. Yep. And, and may, again, maybe not planned. There, there was a target or two targets. But not four is right. what it feels like. Yes. Right. And I guess, if, and you, you did mention earlier that the owners had a pretty strict tradition of when they would arrive to work. That was very yeah, regular, common. They had coffee every morning. They had their coffee club. They had a system. So potentially if there's a target, it's them that had the most consistent pattern of sure. when they arrived yep. to work, being the, maybe the, the biggest, the biggest targets, the owners. Right. Right. Hmm. Or the owner and the maintenance guy, because those are the, those are, a owner, one of the owners, and the maintenance guy. Okay. So, sources for today's case on the state.com and newyorktimes.com for the uh, exhaustive timeline, as Jonah so kindly pointed out, um, for the for the actual case, uh, court documents, KX News, a lot of hours on trial footage and trial archives on Court TV, as well as Bismarck Tribune. Um, merch, check us out, too many shirts.com slash Midwest dash murder. This episode is written by myself, Don Palumbo. This is this podcast. It's Midwest Murder, hosted by Joan Alanto and myself, Don Palumbo, and it is produced by the Good Talk Network. Don't forget to name this episode. And uh, my brain hurts after this one, so for sure. Um, we've got a little basket up here. Use pen, paper, whatever you want. Awesome. Thank you so much, Thank Atypical. You Thanks for coming out for brunch. Ooh.